0: Hey everybody, this is Rabbi David Foreman. I want to welcome you to this uh, virtual event and say hello to all of you folks out there in TV land, as they used to say when I was the kid. I hope you're doing well uh, in whatever state you find yourselves at home. in quarantine or uh, out and about. Um, I wanted to talk with you about some hidden dimensions of this time of year that we find ourselves in, uh, in particular Sphira Saomer. And I want to begin by calling your attention to a kind of strange anomaly in how Sphira Saomer itself is described. Uh, Sphira shows up in Vayikra 23 as part of Parsha Samoadim. And inasmuch as it is part of Parshas Amoeddin, it kind of seems singularly out of place, because let's face it, the Omer isn't really a Moed, right? Um, the rest of Parsha Amoeddin is all about these holidays. You've got You've got Shavuos, you've got Rosh Hashanah, you've got Yom Kippur, you've got Sukas, and then you have this digression. Uh, the Omer, uh, and it just keeps on going on, and, and you hear a little bit about Leket, Shikhan, Peah, um, and just this very long explanation of, of Sfirah Omer, And the question is, what is it even doing, interrupting the Parsha And It seems like it should just be somewhere else in Sefer Vayikra, this strange carbon out of barley that's mat chadash that allows us to eat uh, from the new grain, uh, the crops of the year. What's its meaning and what is it doing in the Parsha of the Moedim? And I think a clue, its meaning, actually comes from the fact that it does exist in, in the Parsha of the Moedim. Um, and I want to suggest a kind of uh, what I think is an interesting theory to you. Um, And uh, it's kind of based upon the following. Um, What if the Omer, uh, this 49-day period in between Yitzhiya, Yitzhiroim, and Shavuos, is in some way a moed Moed of sorts um, uh, on its own? Um, A 49-day moed, as strange as it might sound. What is a moed after all? It's a holiday. But of course, Jewish holidays, the moedim have two dimensions to them, they have agricultural dimensions such as Shavuos, the Chag Katsir, but they also have historical events that they commemorate. In the case of Shavuos, traditionally, uh, the giving of the Torah at Sinai, in the case of Pesach, uh, the uh, the Exodus from Egypt. So the question is could it be that the Karban Omer, this agricultural Karban, which serves an agricultural function, is Matur Chadish for us, could it be that that Karban too? that process of sphera of counting uh, from from that moment that we offer that Korban until Shavuot, could it be that that too has historical resonance and not just agricultural resonance? Could it be that it recalls a historical event? Well, what historical event? Well, think about the holiday that precedes it and the holiday that follows it. The holiday that precedes it is, of course, Pesach. The holiday that follows it is Shavuot. So Pesach commemorates leaving Egypt. Shavuot Coming to Sinai, could it be that the Omer, which is right between these two, commemorates something that's between leaving Egypt and uh, coming to Sinai? Uh, but now the question is, well, what might it commemorate? What you know, what happened between leaving Egypt and coming and coming to Sinai? What happened that could possibly have anything to do with an Omer? And you know, I'm glad you asked that question. What happened that could actually have anything to do with an Omer? Um, but well, think about the word Omer. An, an Omer is a measure of how much a person can eat. Uh, the Torah defines it in Vayikra 23 as an Asirita Eifa, uh, a tenth of an Eifa. Um, but if you think about an, an Omer, the, the measurement of the Omer is a very unusual um, word. It doesn't appear much in the Torah. Um, and if you actually ask yourself, well, where else does it appear in Hamish Torah, Torah, you'll find that it appears in only one other place. Um, when's the only other time you have an Omer mentioned? And strangely enough, the only other time you have an Omer mentioned, or interestingly enough, the only other time you have an Omer mentioned, is concerning an event that took place between the exodus from Egypt on the one hand and the coming to Sinai on the other hand, namely the giving of the Mun in Pasha Pashalach, the raining down of that manna from heaven. Yep, the manna came down, and when it came down, you were allowed to partake and take a serving for yourself. You couldn't take more, you couldn't take less. It was an Omer Lagul Golat, an Omer for each person, an Omer per head. That's what you could take, and it's the only other time in Hamishecham Shetar that Omer ever appears, I believe. You can prove me wrong, but I think that's true, with the exception of Vayikra 23. Could it be that Vayikra 23 that the, the Karbana Omer is a commemoration of sorts of the giving of the manna, a way that we remember the giving of the manna. Some other um, suggestive aspects of the Karbana Omer is actually when the Karbana Omer is brought. Remember that phrase, when do you bring the Karbana Omer? So it's actually on the the, the day after the first day of Pesach. But strangely, the Torah insists on calling it something else that day, there's the famous debate between the Tzutkim and the Prushim over uh, what what the Torah means when it says that you bring the Omer mi-Machrat Shabbat on the day after Shabbat, the day after uh, day after what? Well, the Stukim would have us believe that it's Sunday, the day after Shabbat, but the Prushim, who are our ancestors, say that the day after Shabbat actually means the day after the first day of Pesach, which is strange, right? Because you think. I know how to say the first day of Pesach, just say the first day of Pesach. Why say Shabbat? But for some reason, the Torah insists on calling Pesach a Shabbat. Um, okay, strange, but that's what the that's what the Prussian believe. But if you actually think about, okay, Shabbat, uh, why, why actually would the Torah make such a big deal of, of calling Pesach Shabbat with reference to this? Uh, if we're talking about Omer, and if Omer actually has to do with um, the the giving of the man does the man have anything to do with the sabbath and of course the answer is yes um as a matter of fact the way we got our first sabbath was with the story of the man right that's when sabbath is revealed to us um as as, as people um so this notion of it's not just the omer it's the notion of the sabbath even the idea of Maharat, right uh the next day um, how is the sabbath revealed in the story of the month? it's when moshe says um, that tomorrow the next day will be sabbath it's no sure tomorrow and a sabbath it all seems like it's it, like it, it harks back to the month. the other question is well let's say it does let's say it, it harks back to the month. so let's just understand so what are we doing we're bringing this carbon which is a way of remembering the man but the carbon actually has a function, right? Halachically, it has a function. And the function of the carbon is that it allows us to eat from chadash. It allows us to eat from the new crop of grain. And what that suggests, I think, is a fascinating thing, which is that you can't actually go into the land um, and, uh, and eat from a new crop of grain until you do something interesting, until you remember the man. Now, why would you have to remember the man? You have to remember that God fed us in the desert right? Before you eat from the new grain. How is it that we understand that, right? What, what does one have to do with um, with the other? And I think that actually comes into sharper focus. When we notice one other text that the story of Surya Amr reminds us of, the story of the mun is a text that it reminds us of in the past. But it turns out that there's also a text that it foreshadows in the future. Yep, Vayikra 23, the story of Surya Amr, foreshadows another text which hasn't yet come to pass when Vayurka 23 is written. And that text is Yoshua chapter 5. I want to take you into Yoshua chapter 5, show you what's happening there. It's the moment after the splitting of the Arden. People are coming into the land, and what's interesting is if you think about when we got the MUN. the MUN also happened right after the splitting of a great body of water. It's the splitting of the sea, and then just shortly thereafter, in the same Parsha, in Parsha's we hear about the onset of the Mon. turns out that after the splitting of the Yardin, a parallel kind of event, and coming into the land, right? The moment we leave Egypt, we get the splitting of one great body of water. And the moment we come into the land, we get the splitting of this other body of water, the Yardin. And then we get Yeshua Five, Right before the conquest of Eureka, the people circumcised themselves. And then something interesting happens. Let me share my screen with you and uh, see if I can show it with you. Let me share my screen with you and see if I can show you what I'm talking about. So so here you've got this kind of color-coded text. Take a look at this over here. I'll make this a little bit bigger so you can see it better. And what I've actually done here is put actually three texts together. Uh, The story of Yeshua over here in chapter 5, and the Omer uh, over to the left, and the story of the the beginning of the Mon over here. But what happens in Yeshua chapter 5? It's actually the story of the cessation of the Mon. So if the Mon begins in the story of uh, Parshas Pashalach, it ends in Sefer Yeshua, right, after the 40 years of Wandering of the desert is finally up. So let's read. V'hik asher tamu kol ha'gol himol, v'yishvu ad chayotam, after the people did Mila, right? V'yom ra'ashem yoshua God says to Yoshua, hayom galoti at cherpat mitzrayim ma'aleichem. Today, I have uncovered, right? I've done away with the shame of Egypt from you. And v'yik r'ashem ha'ma komahu, Gilgal. They called the place Gilgal, anayam azeh after Galoti, right? I've uncovered the shame of of Mitzrayim. But um, we'll come back to that word Gilgal and what it might be referring to, what else it might be referring to besides Hayom Galoti at Kherpat Mitzrayim. But let's continue for the meantime with Pasagyud. Yud. Vayachanu B'nei so the people encamped in Gilgal, Vayasuet and they actually did made the Pesach offering. And when did they do that? On the 14th day, when they were supposed to. Be'erev, in the evening, Be'arvot Yerichov. See, by the way, the little play on words here, which is kind of interesting. Be'erev, and that comes Be'arvot in the plains of Yerichov. But it was a playoff of the word Be'erev. And then Vayochlu Ma'avur, also a sort of anagram for the word erev and Arvot. Anyway, so they offer this Pesach offering, and what do they do the very next day? The very next day. When is that? It's the day after they offer the Pesach offering. What does that remind you of? Well, oh, well, one second. There was something about the day after, after, after Pesach that had to do with the Omer, didn't it? Well, keep on thinking. Keep on reading. They ate from the land mimachrata Pesach on the day after Pesach. Wow, that word mimachrat, very unusual word, seems to really recall this word with the Omer, macham mimachrat I remember, by the way, how the Sadducees' way of understanding that seems so much more plausible than the Pharisees. I mean, I'm a card-carrying Pharisee like anybody else, but it seems strange, right? If I'm a Pharisee, so how come machrat ha it doesn't refer to the day after Shabbat. Why well, I would refer to Pesach as Shabbat. But if you want proof that you refer to the Pesach on Shabbat, just look at Joshua 5. Same kind of language. And mimachrata Pesach, the day after Pesach, what do they do? They eat from the land. They eat the very first chadash that ever was eaten. Chadash, isn't that fascinating? That is actually the function of the Korban Ogre, to be your chadash, well, the new crop of grain, when was it the first time people ever ate a new crop of grain? The ultimate hadash was the grain that you ate when you came into Israel for the very first time. First time you ever tasted grain uh, coming from the land. It's the newness must have been so extraordinary. So, Matsot the kalui baetzamayamaza. They ate matzah and toasted grain on that very day. Well, where does all this language come from? It's not just me Mahrat Pesach that comes from this language of Omer, Mi Mahrada Shabbat, havia Chemat Omer, right? It's also this, right? Look over over year, right before this. That Lachan the Khali the Right, bread and toasted grain, you cannot eat until this very day, the, the Torah tells us in Leviticus twenty three and Baikra twenty three, until this very day, until you bring this carbon of the Omer. This is the ban on eating Chadash. You cannot eat from toasted grain that is the language to describe the very first eating of Chadash, when on the day after Pesach, they ate toasted grain. And what happened the very next day? And there's that language. Isn't that interesting? Shabbos, right? The great Sabbath of the manna. The manna which brings us to Sabbath. It introduces us to the concept of Sabbath. The manna itself to the Sabbath. Mi macharat. The very day after this, right? There was no more manna. Oh, fascinating. So one second. The Omer really does remind us of the manna. It foreshadows, it, it reminds us of the onset of the manna, but it also foreshadows the cessation of the manna, the very first time we ate from new grain. And seemingly what the meaning of the Omer is, this hidden dimension of the Omer, is that, bef- is that in every year after that, when you mimic what the people did when they come into the land, when you eat from this grain for the very first time, you too have to do what these people did—the very first time they ate chadash, the very first chadash of all. You have to do what they did, which is remember the mud. You see, the people who ate our who who ate from. The very first time when they came into the land, they couldn't help but remember the month. It's what they ate for breakfast yesterday. It's what they ate the day before. It's what they've eaten for the last 40 years. And what I would argue is that what allows them to eat from the new grain is their memory of the month, which is to say, it's not okay to eat from the new grain of the land until you remember how God fed you in the desert. Why? The answer is. When God gave you the man, and it's interesting, you see it even in the language of God giving the man, when they look at the man and they don't even know what it is, they say, man, who? what is it? So Moshe has an answer, and the answer is, hu ha natan Hashem. It's the bread that God gave you. God made bread rain from the sky. It's the bread, asher natan lecha Hashem, that God has given you. Well, look at how the Amr begins. Uh, the story of the Yomar or the the language of the Yomar begins with the Ber Albanesalva Martaleam Kitavo Elaret Asher Anino Tem When you go into the land that I give you, and you bring and you eat from its grain, bring this offering. Fascinating. Omer was a Lachem Asher Natan Hashem. When you but uh, it's not the case that the only time when you have Lachem Asher Natan Hashem is the bread that God gave you is the manna. Every bread that you eat, the bread that comes from the land, is also bread that, that God gave you. Why? Because God hasn't just given you the manna. He's given you the land. It's God giving you bread in another way. It doesn't make a difference if it's from heaven or if it's from the ground. It's just a little different, right? When it comes from heaven, God unilaterally gives you bread out of the sky. But there's also bread that's not unilateral. There's bread that you have to work for, that you mix your labor with. When you do it, you're actually working in partnership with God. God is giving you the land, right? And through that land, right, out of that land is coming this bread. And you can't be in a position to eat from that new crop of bread, to taste its deliciousness, without understanding the most basic case, understanding that, God is the one who gives you bread. He gave you the bread even when there isn't any land, which means that it's not really the land that's providing you. It's not like you just say, well, the land's really providing me. I just don't know whether it's going to rain. That's why I look for God for. it. It's no, no, no. The land is just the vehicle. The provider is God. God is providing the land, and through that, he's giving. Instead of through the heavens, he's giving you the land, the, the bread. He's giving you the land through the earth. That's what we remember with the Omer, right? And the Omer is is there to burn that into our memory, bring an omer's worth as a way of of remembering that. Remember, of course, that the manna was something that once we had it, God insisted on putting it together in the ark. Right? right? And right before that, the Omer put it right near the the, the Edud Right, what becomes the Ten Commandments and the Holy Ark, and leave it before God forever. You have to remember that. Whenever you look at the two luchot, at the, the, right, you've got to look at the manna also that was there and to remember that God that God gave you this. Another way of our remembering the man, right, is every time when we bring the Karvana Omer, we remember uh, the way God fed us uh, in the desert allowing us to, uh, to bring that kind of recognition to what otherwise would just be seem like, well, I was a good farmer and things just worked out, and the land just provided for me. Now, it wasn't really the land that provided for you. The land was a vehicle. God provided you through the land. The same way he makes manna for you, he made this bread for you, and he gave it to you through the land. Once you understand that by remembering both the onset of the Omer, the onset of the of the month and its cessation in Yeshua, right? It is then that you can finally eat from the new crop of grain. So I wish you a very good uh, conclusion of your Svirat Amar as you get ready to offer your own Shtelachem, your own double portion of bread in recognition of the double portion of bread, of manna that we once got from heaven. We offer our Shtelachem in Shvuot in the culmination of Omar, to complete the cycle, and saying, "God, we've come into the land. Thank you very much. Here's two loves back for you." <laughs>